success is a three-step process in my head. The first step is that you decide what you want. The second step is that you commit to it. And the third step is you freaking go get it. In a time plagued by groupthink, a tribe known as the Millionites have emerged from the depths of time to alter our trajectory for the betterment of humanity. These are their chronicles. Welcome to our community, where every single week we'll study the craft of some of the most successful entrepreneurial leaders in their given area of expertise. We'll take a trip down memory lane, long before the millions, to uncover their secrets to success and how they've achieved their goals. By doing this, we can fast track our way to success and live the life we've always dreamt of. So, whether you are looking to attain financial freedom, location independence, or reaching the millionth mark of your milestones and more, then you've come to the right place. Stick around to find out what works, what doesn't, and how you can reach your millions. If you would like instant access to our back catalog, visit us at beforethemillions.com. And now, your host, DeRay Olaleye. What's good, BTM community? I'm your humble host, DeRay Olaleye, and we're back for another edition of the BTM Podcast. This is episode 11. Yes, episode 11. And it's, it's a pleasure to have you here on the show. Today's interview is a little bit different than, than normal. Andre is the founder and CEO of Lean Pressure Washing and Andre Philippe, a men's custom tailoring company. That company has, has actually won multiple awards in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, including Dallas's A-list award for best men's clothing. And then four months later, he signed a contract with a $2.5 billion company. I really enjoyed talking to Andre and figuring out how he came up from his beginning. So his talk with us is, is inspirational and it really, really speaks to the the notion of just persevering and kind of seeing your vision through all the way to the end. So again, it's a great episode. And if you like this episode and would like more episodes like this, then Feel free to let me know and we can make that happen. Next couple of weeks, we have some really awesome guests coming on the show. I'm super excited. I'm not going to let the cat out the bag just yet, but just know that we're coming with some heat. So just stay tuned for that. If you haven't already subscribed to the show, go ahead and subscribe so that you can have these episodes automatically downloaded to your phone every week when they come out. This week, I read two books. I'm still on par, guys. I'm still on par. I read Influence and I read Expert Secrets, two very good books. Influence just kind of studies the art of influence, what influences us, how we influence others, and some not so normal practices of influence. So very good book. I recommend it for anyone. You can find that book at beforethemillions.com slash resources, which reminds me that our resources page is up. So please check that out. With our resources page, I recommend only the things that me and my team have tried, things that we use to this day. And if you do click on any of the any of the links, just know that you know, that's an easy way to support the show. As you guys know, these episodes are not cheap to produce. It'd be a nice way for the listeners, especially the ones who get great value from the show, to give back to the show at no extra charge to the listeners whatsoever, just by going through the links that I recommend. So yeah, check out our beforethemillions.com slash resources page for all things resources when it comes to travel, when it comes to investing, when it comes to real estate, when it comes to online businesses, we have it all. Also, my book is up there as well. So if you want to check out my book on how to start getting paid to live for free, you can check out my book on the resources page, or you can visit beforethemillions.com slash book and get it that way. Or you can just pull out your phone right now and send a quick email to info at beforethemillions.com. And in that quick email, just title the subject, live free, and we'll get the book right to you. No extra steps involved. So you can do that to get my new free ebook. Just go to your email and type in live free and send that to info at beforethemillions.com. You guys, I got into an accident last night and... It was really puzzling to me. I'm in Houston, by the way, and I'm driving down Westheimer. And if you're familiar with Houston, you're familiar with the rest of Westheimer. It's a very busy street. And I'm on the rightmost lane. I brake, pull up to 
you know, I brake pull up to a light in which a couple cars are already at the light and a routine stop. And this car just comes from behind me and rams into my car. And I'm just like, wait a minute, did I just get into an accident? <laughs> so it's a whole bunch of people on the street and they see the accident and we're all like, what the heck? So I park the car, turn on my hazards, and I get out the car to address the person who just rear-ended me and also check out the damage. As I get out the car, I see the person also put their car in park and, and put their hazards on. So as I get out the car, I walk towards the back of my car or the car I was in, which was a rental, and which made matters worse, by the way, or could have made matters worse. But I walk towards the back of my car and they immediately put their car in drive and they drive off. <laughs> And I had three options. One was quickly try to remember their license plate. Two was to hop back in my car and run and, and chase after them. Or three was to let them go. <laughs> so I tried two out of three. <laughs> I tried to hop back in my car while trying to remember their license plate. I failed at both. <laughs> And in that process, some of the bystanders kind of walked up to me and were like, hey, did you just get hit? And I was like, yeah, did you, did you guys see it? They were like, no, we heard it. And they checked out the back of my car. They was like, but there's nothing wrong with your car. So I get out the car again and I go back and I actually take a look at the damage that was done. And there's literally almost not a scratch on the car. And I was just like, oh, my goodness. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And the crazy part about it is she hit me really, really hard. Like my neck is still hurting to this day. Again, luckily, there was not a scratch or just a few minor scratches on the car. So I was able to take the rental back to the dealership and not tell them a thing. So, yeah, <laughs> crazy story. that has no relevance to anything, but I just thought I should share that because that was weird. Right. Yeah. OK. Anyways, on to the show, guys. Let's get into it. We recommend only the best books on this show. With that being said. We can understand the urge to read the last book you've heard an entrepreneur get excited about. Well, guess what? You can go read it right now. We've partnered with Audible, an Amazon company that produces high-quality audiobooks. Together, we are offering, and for free, a 30-day trial and one free book as soon as you sign up. So, if you've been eyeing a certain book but haven't quite been able to pull the trigger yet, we'd love to cover the cost for you. Just visit audibletrial.com slash before the millions to start reading or listening to your next free book. The link is also in the show notes of this episode at beforethemillions.com. Today, I'd like to welcome Andre Van Den Brook to the show. Hey, Andre, how's it going? Good, Ray. How are you today, man? I'm doing well. I'm, I'm happy to have you. I'm excited to get in it. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. Just a little bit about Andre, and then I'll, I'll let him, him have the floor. Andre is a builder of brands, a connector of dots. After deciding that traditional sales career wasn't for him, Andre found his way into the ad marketing industry. With only two years of formal experience under his belt and a knack for establishing powerful relationships, he was offered a managing partner position at Numantra, which is a Dallas-based, fully integrated agency that serves clients across the globe up to Fortune 100 in size. So after that, that Andre, I think that's when you started your, your winning men's line. And maybe I'll let you get into that a little bit further, but maybe take us back just a little bit further than that. Take us back to your college days or maybe even 18-year-old Andre. And, and who was Andre and what, what were you doing at that time? Well, first of all, thank you for having me on. And congratulations on the on the great success of this podcast and how quickly it's building. I'm always inspired to hear guys that just make the leap and things start working out. I, I fully believe that so many people don't experience success because they just don't get started. So congratulations to you to getting started and the increase of elevation in your podcast. So 18-year-old Andre, I was only about soccer. That's all <laughs> about had no bills, had no anything. I just, it was pretty much written in scripture that I was going to go play in the league. It's all I did. It's all I cared about. It's all I thought about. So whenever I was 18, I got recruited by a lot of the D1 schools at the time, you know, the UCLA's and the Clemson's and the Rutgers. And the idea was for me to go play a year of D1 and then go into the league. But I was a homebody, man. I mean, to my detriment, I was a homebody and I didn't want to leave home. So I decided to go and play a year of D2 at Texas Wesleyan in Fort Worth, which is close to where I live. I'm a DFW guy. I had a great season there, won a bunch of awards there, and then ended up going and playing a year of 
Division One ball in Virginia at Radford. Actually, I didn't even play a year. Halfway through, I found out my folks were getting a divorce, and I just left this season and came home. So my college experience was a little different than most in that I was an athlete student. I wasn't a student athlete. I was going to college strictly to get into the league. And then, obviously, one of my folks, you know, whenever I found out my folks were getting divorced, my priorities changed. So I guess I was about, I guess I was 20, 21 when I came home from Virginia. That's when I guess life really started. Okay. So let's talk about that a little before we move further, Andre. So you had to come home because your your parents got a divorce. How did that situation play out? Who did you, I guess, did you come home to kind of, kind of be with your mom and did you have to start taking on more responsibility? How did that work? Yes. And yes. I remember finding out the situation and calling my best friend and saying, if I flew you to Virginia, how quickly could I get you out here? Because I was just ready to drive back. Like there was no ifs, ands, or buts, whether I was going to come home or not. So he said, as soon as you need me, need me. So literally the next morning he was in Virginia, flew him in from Dallas. And at the time I had a, had a it was a 1998 Mustang GT and I had slammed it and I had to put a U-Haul on the back of it and drive it 12 or 14 hours or whatever from Virginia. But I came home because I just couldn't stand the thought of my mom going through that without me there. You know, I'm the youngest of four and my mom and I and just super close. And I was with my father, too. I still am. But I just couldn't stand the, the thought of being away from home. I mean, like I said already, I was a homebody already, you know, so I was away from where I was comfortable and what I was used to. So getting this news, just, it just caused me, there wasn't, there wasn't ever a doubt in my mind that I was going to pack up and come home. So I left my scholarship behind. I left, you know, what the, the future of my, my soccer career was supposed to be, to be with my mom and my family. And, you know, it's, I don't believe Dre in, in a life of no regrets, like the whole, I don't regret anything because it made me who I am today. I, I just, I don't believe that. I think it's naive. And I think, I think it's short-sighted. I think it's okay to have regrets. And I think what's not okay is that you let those regrets define you and you let those regrets control your life. But I certainly have some regrets. And sometimes I wonder if, if you know, if I would have stayed there playing soccer, would I be in the league and have had that experience? But then I also wonder, you know, if I was to do that, it would be at the sacrifice of, of what? Because the life that I've built now is completely related to the life I had to force myself to live whenever I came home from, from college. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And I can, I can 100% understand that. And you being so young and you having this tremendous weight on your shoulders to definitely provide and figure out how you're going to take care of your mom and your family, that that's, that's commendable that you went home with, with everything that you had going on at school. And it sounds like you were an amazing soccer player and you probably still are. So let's fast forward just, <laughs> just a couple months, maybe a couple more years. And, and what, what did you start doing to, I guess, start building on, on your career or start, I guess, making your path? Yeah. So Whenever I got home, I started going to school at a local college and I was a captain of that soccer team. So there was a couple things that I had to come face to face with. I couldn't miss practices and we were about to go into three days and I needed to make money and I needed to help my mom. So late night, literally, I was just thinking of what I could do at night to make some money. It starts. <laughs> yeah. It's like, what can I do to bring in some cash? And I think there was a janitorial commercial that came across the screen, you know, on the TV. And I thought, well, I could do that at night. You know, I could start a company that cleans, you know, at night and then go to three days, whatever. So the next day, Ray, it, it's, the, it's the craziest story. The next day, I started calling auto dealerships. And the very first one I called was one that was in Arlington, Texas, off of I-20. It was called Texan Ford. And the gal that I spoke with, her name was Heather Poda. And I called her and I said, hi, Heather. And I made up this name called Southwest Shine Corporate Cleaning Services. I said, hi, Heather, this is Andre with Southwest Shine Corporate Cleaning Services. I wanted to call you and find out a little bit about the janitorial service that you're using now, see if there's a way that we can meet. And if you'd allow me the opportunity to find out if I could save you some money. And she said, yes. So overnight, this is back when we had Corel Draw. Like that was probably before your time, Dre. Yep, yep. What is that? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's the, the equivalent of like the artistic abacus is what it is. So we had Corel Draw, and I and I I literally printed out five business cards. I, I created a logo, printed out five business cards on one trifold brochure, put on the one suit that I had at the time, and I went the next morning to to 
Texan Ford, and she was walking me through this dealership, and I remember thinking, I barely cleaned my room. Like, how am I going to clean this entire dealership? So we sat down at the end, and she goes, so what, what do you think you could do this for? And I just asked her, I said, well, what are you paying now? And she said, 5000 a month. And in my head, I was like, $5,000 a month? Like, I could clean this for 5000 a month. <laughs> So I'll save you $6,000 a year. She said, you'll do it for 500 bucks a month. And I said, yes, ma'am. She goes, deal. I was thinking to myself, crap, I just got this deal. So I lied to her. Condone it. (laughs) But I lied to her. And I told her I was traveling for the next two weeks because I had to get contracts in place. And I had to find people to clean the store. And I had to go get a truck and supplies and so, so Andre, 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 really quick, really quick. This It's about to get good. But before it gets good, let me get some context really, really quick on the night before. So okay. you realize that you need to start creating some income for yourself. The first thing that you think of is something entrepreneurial or was were there other things or roadblocks or other ideas? Or was that literally you saw that commercial and you were like, boom, janitorial <laughs> services, like you just went straight into entrepreneurial mode? How did that work out? Yeah, I think some of us are just wired to think that way. And one of the pivotal points in my life, Dre, is that I realized I was a terrible employee only because I didn't think like employees thought, so it made me a bad employee. But the first, in hindsight, the very first time I came face to face with that realization was that night when most people would say, I'll go bartend, right? Which I don't don't downplay at all. Like bartenders can make great money. I, I think that's a great supplemental income for anybody that wants to work at night, right? But it's just not the way that I was wired. And yeah. I saw that commercial and I thought I could start something doing that and it could be my own. So there's nothing in particular you would attribute your entrepreneurial mindset to at that time? Maybe your mom, your parents, a book that you're writing? You know, my father's, I don't know, how old's Pop now? He's 60 something and he just graduated like two years ago. So it's not like we come from, my sister was the first one from my, my family to graduate. So it's not like we come from a family of a bunch of higher educated, you know, the people that just believed in college so much. My my father was an entrepreneur spirit. The difference between Pop and I is that he's always wanted to. He's just never really given it a go, right? Yeah. My father's father was an entrepreneur in Belgium and all of Europe. So I know it's in the genes. But you know, man, as as a young guy, Dere, you, you'll probably attest to this. Well, it's different in the times now, right? How old are you, my brother? 27. <laughs> it's, it's very different now. Back, back then, now it's almost... It's cool. And it's it makes sense for people to want to do their own thing. There's so many resources for you to start your own thing that today, if there's a if there's a 19 year old that says, I want to create an app and I want to sell it to the market. Nobody bats an eye. Back then, you were considered irresponsible. I'm 38 years old. So whenever I was 20, 21, thinking of starting a business, people were like, well, you don't have any money. You don't have any experience. You don't have any of this. You don't have any of that. So it was just a very different time back then. So what I'm getting at is for a weaker man, it would have created this foundation of insecurity because I was wired different than to think I'm going to go wait tables. Yeah. But that I literally that <laughs> the commercial flashed across the screen and I thought, Hey, that makes sense. I could do that at night. You know, that's so, amazing. That's amazing. So let, let's fast forward again and go to the next day. And you've now got your first contract and you have about two weeks to kind of get, get ready. What are you doing? What's going on? Oh man, it was bad. <laughs> it was bad. <laughs> it was bad. I, I bought a truck, bought some supplies, hired a bunch of people. I thought I was going to be able to just put them in the in the dealership, and I'd I'd get a phone call in the morning on my voicemail saying, "Hey, we're done," and everything would be done well. It didn't go that way at all. Uh, How did I, it go? <laughs> yeah, what, what I realized back then, particularly in that industry, is that people need management sometimes, you know. And so whenever I thought that I was just going to close business and have people clean it and make my money and pay other people out. I was having to go to the dealership at nine o'clock in the morning. I wasn't leaving until four and three a day started the next day at seven, you know? So pretty quickly that contract came to an end. So, I mean, it was my first time to roll out and actually put forth, you know, an effort to start a business and it just didn't, I mean, I could sell it, but I couldn't execute against it. And that, that was the downfall of it. Yep. Yep. So, you had this business and you went through, I guess you went through trying times and that it didn't pan out. After this, what was your next step? Why did you Why did you decide to, I guess, move away from it rather than try to fix it or work on it or put more time and effort into it? It's a great question. So first of all, 
from the objective and logical side, I recognized that the business wasn't something that would operate the way that I thought it would. So it wasn't going to help me in the way that I assumed it would whenever I first considered the business, right? So whenever I thought that I would be able to close business and I'd hire people, they'd go out and clean. That's not how it went. It required way, way more of me than I ever anticipated. If I was in a situation where I didn't have three days coming up and I wasn't the captain of the soccer team and commitments to school, then I could have worked through it. I could have said, okay, well, I need to find a new crew. I need to be, you know, the next I'm going to continue to sell this and I'm going to learn from my previous mistake. But the challenge was, is that I didn't have time to consider that because I was going into soccer season and I just didn't have time to do it. Okay. Okay. And so after this, is this where you kind of got your experience in marketing? No, actually after that, my brother, my oldest brother called me and this was during the last boom and he was absolutely killing it selling houses for Centex Homes in Phoenix. So you know the on-site salespeople where you go into their community and they it's almost like an apartment person, but it's for new homes. And he invited me to come out, sit with him on the sales floor. He said, I think you'd be really good at this. And so I did. I went out there. I spent a week with him. I came back. He got me a job at KB Home. I got my training there. And I spent some time at KB and a couple of other builders, man. But that was that's the time when it was for you. That's when I really, really recognized this is not for you. Like, so my wife, right? My wife is the epitome of the best employee. You give her a checklist, it's going to be gone quickly with no questions at a high quality. I mean, there's just, she's just a great employee. You give me a checklist and I think, is there, is it, first of all, is this necessary? B, is there a better way to do it? See who all is this impacting and do we need to remove people from the conversation? I mean, I just I over dissect stuff to try to find efficiencies. And then I didn't have a very good feeling of, you know, I was sitting there just banging out hours in the sales office. And there was some guy at the top of the chain that I didn't know. And he didn't really care about me. And I was making that guy rich. And it, that just didn't sit well with me. And I came to the point where I realized this whole working thing isn't for me. Okay. So Andre, I guess you went through a couple businesses or self-employed work and you've had these moments in which you've realized that these things aren't panning out. They're not for you. What do you think you were looking for? Like, what do you think was out there that would better suit you or would better fit you at the time? Because it seems like you were, you were fine. I mean, you were finding slight success and then then you would kind of realize that it just wasn't something that you wanted. Not necessarily the money you were making. It just wasn't, it didn't sit right with, with you as a being. So what, what were you looking for? You know, and this is going to sound very cliche to Ray, but fulfillment. And I'm very in tune with my own thoughts and my heart and, and my gut. And I just, I knew that wherever I was then wasn't for me. And there was something greater for me out there. What the greater was, I had no idea. So what I did was I took my experience and what I had learned in new home sales and the network that I built, and I started a real estate company. So now I'm in this industry that I loved, but now I own it and I own the company and I'm doing what I want to do with my company. So this is the way that I kind of married the two. I started a real estate company that only sold brand new homes because that's where I created my entire network was with all these home builders and all the salespeople there. So right before the boom happened, I launched this company and we had a three-tier value proposition. We would buy you out of your lease. We would pay for your move because my friend owned the moving company. And we would get you into a brand new home for less than $500. All the friends that I had made in new home sales made this value proposition very, very, very simple. So what I did was I took the network that I had amassed. This is why I know selling new homes wasn't for nothing because I took the network that I had amassed in the industry, I started my own thing and I started leveraging that network to build my business, right? So at the time, honestly, man, I was I was too young to make that much money. It was like the Lord's way of saying, you're not ready, son. And that's why the downturn happened in my life. But I felt like we were printing money. I did all my work from my boat. I mean, we were just, it was going really, really well. That's how I got into marketing and advertising because I started running TV and radio commercials to drive people to the phones. So that's kind of how we go from new home sales and being in real estate into marketing and advertising and how it all kind of connects because I had amassed this network and new home sales started my own. And then I got really heavy into mass media advertising to drive that business. Okay. Okay. And so, and I didn't even know you, you, you got into real estate. So that that's pretty interesting. Are you in real estate to this day? No. 
No, no longer. I'm not. I mean, I've rebranded some. I've rebranded some companies, like uh, as a marketing consultant, and you know, we've got some real estate investments going on in terms of like vacation homes in the Dominican and things of the sort. But properly and formally, I'm not involved in real estate. Not not for any reason. I love real estate. I just, I mean, I have other projects going on that keep me from it. Okay. I'm sure we'll, we'll get to those projects because I've read up on some of them and they're, they're, they're quite amazing. So let's talk about this, this transition from, I guess, real estate to, to marketing. What made you make the transition? Now, you initially went into marketing to help your real estate business, and it seems as though you've dropped your real estate business by the wayside and you picked up marketing full time. How did that work? I had partnered when I first launched a real estate business. I had partnered with a guy, just the, one of the greatest mentors I've ever had. His name is Mike Hernandez. He owned DNM Auto Leasing, which is the largest consumer auto leasing company in the country. The cool thing about Mike's business is that all of his salespeople just sit in these offices, these plush offices, and he would run radio ads and drive everybody to their phones and they would sell a bunch of cars, but they didn't have a car lot. It was the craziest thing. They partnered with dealerships all around the, the area and they would sell the dealerships cars, which kept them from having to keep inventory, you know? Well, whenever I partnered with Mike, I said, well, I just want to become the DNM of real estate. So did, he taught did, me how, how to get... How did you meet him and why did, why did he want to partner with you? Yeah. So I'm not good at a whole lot of things, DeRay, but shaking hands and making deals happen is something that I'm fortunate to be decent at. We had a mutual friend who introduced us and Mike and I got to talk and he had just started a mortgage company. And I asked him, have you ever had a thought about having a real estate company that fed your mortgage company? And I'll never forget his response. He said, I've thought about it. I didn't think it would be this quick, but if, if the business makes sense and timing is irrelevant. So I said, well, my brother just bought a real estate franchise in Austin. We could buy one of those. He goes, well, let's put some numbers together. Let's think about it. So we started it together. So anyway, so that's whenever I started getting into mass media and advertising. Then fast forward, the market tanks. I'm spending money like I'm P. Diddy, right? I mean, I'm just more money. I'm just spending it all. And I'm just, I'm not mature enough to handle the money that was coming in. So the Lord took it away and I lost everything. Let's talk about that. Let's break that down. What what exactly happened? How did your money get depleted? What did you do wrong? And kind of go into that a little bit. Well, the, the answer to what did you do wrong is very short. <laughs> I spent I spent all of it. Yep. So if you don't remember back then and you know when the last market crash happened, it wasn't a case of the market pumping the brakes and everybody noticing that there's going to be this recession. They hit the e-brake. Like everything yeah. stopped overnight. Yeah. And so how this entire affect, business, how did that affect your business in you know, by itself? It was done. <laughs> it was done because at the time, you know, if you had a 500 FICO score, you could get 100% financing to buy a brand new house, right? We only worked with first-time home buyers, so it went from having a 500 FICO score to having 620 and 3% in the bank, and we had just amassed this business off of people that had a hard time buying houses. So for us, it was terrible because our entire market got just pulled from under us, you know? And yeah, man, I just, I was spending everything and I'm really glad and thankful that I went through this season of my life whenever I was single and I didn't have any kids because I can imagine going through it now that I'm married with two kids. So I really feel like I went through that season at the time I did because the Lord was preparing me for the future. I hope it's okay to talk about the Lord on it. Oh yeah, most definitely. Yes, please. (laughs) That's fascinating. Yeah. So, so originally you were, you were getting these first time home buyers that had a FICO score of 500. That's, cr- that's how you know. Like when things like that start happening, if that starts happening like now, okay, I, I'd be scared. Like that's how you know that, you know, that Rightfully things are taking so. a turn. Yep. 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 So once the market turned, you know, every, like you said, it just, it just kind of came to a complete halt. There wasn't like a, let me give you guys a taste of what's about to happen. It was just like, there's no flares, <laughs> no flares at all. That's, no flares. that's crazy. So, so that happens and, and your business, you know, for lack of a, a better word, tanks, where are you? What do you do? What, how do you come up from that? Well, I'll tell you where I was, man. I was at the bottom of it all. I was sitting in my living room of my apartment. My girlfriend had just left me. My lights have been turned off. My cars have been repoed. I had an eviction notice on the door. My dog's head was in my lap. I didn't know how I was going to feed her that night. And I just felt, I felt defeated. I felt done, you know? And it's hard for me not to get emotional whenever I talk about it, but 
I reflect on that day and that moment so much that it's tangible to me. Like I can, I can still smell the air. I can still feel my dog. I can still feel the pain in my heart, but that was, that was the depths of it. And it's crazy to because I look back on that time and I started blogging while I was going through this and it's almost an out of body experience going back and reading those blogs because I don't even, I don't even remember writing them. But what I realized was that my writing was just my outlet to just stay, keep my head above water. I didn't call my parents and ask for money. I didn't get money from anywhere. I didn't have, I didn't have a friend that swooped through and said, Hey man, let me hold you up. I didn't have anything. So, you know, I wish I had a really great story about all the moves I made to get out of that situation. But all I know is that I remain faithful and even in my darkest hour, I knew I was built for great things. And somehow, some way, the Lord kept putting things in place for me to get out of that situation. I got out of it. What was the very first thing? What was the very first thing you did? So from that apartment, I didn't have a car. I randomly meet a guy who has an extra car. And he just says, if you need a car, I'll let you. And I barely knew this guy, right? And I kept telling him, hey, man, I'm going to make it up to you. I'm, I'm good for it. But he said, you don't even need to explain yourself to me. I have a car for you to use. So and Fabian, who who you've been in contact with, Fabian will tell you a story that when he met me, I showed him a picture on my phone and it was a picture of me walking on the highway. And he asked me what it was. And I told him I was going to the bank to try to discuss my situation with him. And I was walking and I took that picture while I was walking to the bank to remind myself that I was never going to be there again. So. You know, I had a guy early on that offered me his car, and if I'm anything, I'm a hustler. So to tell you how I got from there to to here, there's I probably don't recall five or seven years of it. I will tell you that whenever I did lose everything, I got I started getting phone calls for jobs somehow, some way. I got a phone call to get into creative recruiting. So I took this creative recruiting position where. I was placing people at agencies and with brands in their creative department. And that, I remember that being the catalyst. I remember sitting in that cubicle thinking, here I am in a cubicle again. I'm not supposed to be here. But a good three months after I started in that cubicle, I got recruited out of it to an advertising agency. And that's where everything started popping off. Yikes. Yikes. Okay. Okay. Let's dive into the good stuff. Let's talk about this advertising agency. Let's talk about how you started creating your businesses and how you became the mogul of today that you are, how you've won the Dallas A-List Award for Best Men's Clothing. Let's talk about some of these things. Now that now that we, we've gone through the worst of worst and we've seen you at your lows, we can, I'm sure many of us can relate. I can relate. There has been times in which, I mean, there's still times in which, you know, I have those types of exact moments. So I think it's it's almost like a rite of passage per se for you to get successful or for you to actually, for it to click sometimes. And I don't know if that, if you had a single aha moment or if it was over those five to seven years you had, you were constantly in, an, in a moment to where you were figuring it out. So let's talk about, you know, after that time you got hired at this advertising agency and is that where things kind of just took off? How did you find your way from there? Blew it out, brother. <laughs> you know, so I was, I had been placing talent with them. I end up over there. They gave me my yearly goal and I, I sold it in 90 days. So 90 days into it, I was already past my annual goal. I just, I found my niche, like this marketing, branding stuff, this pitching business, this going out, finding business for the ad world. Like I, I was good at it and I was really enjoying it. So Fast forward and and the new mantra catches wind that I'm on the that I'm doing what I'm doing. They recruit me over. I go and now I'm dealing with the first agency I worked with was an event agency. So we would do like expos and experiential events, things of the sort. New mantra was more of a fully integrated agency. So there we were doing brand development and creating websites and also doing social media and doing events and whatnot. So it was just more of a it was a bigger agency. I started there as the director of business development, and a year later. They made me managing partner, so I got equity in the business, and I was just traveling to London and pitching business and winning. It, I don't know if you've ever seen Bad Men, but Don Draper's role is exactly what I did. Oh yeah, Son's <laughs> the. I was just out closing business, but oh, dude, that's the best. So anyway, so while I'm at New Mantra, 
we'll fast forward and we'll get to to the menswear company and where we are. And first of all, thank you for it, but I'm not a mogul, not even close, but we're, we're working to get there. So I'm at New Mantra and I'm about to propose to my, my now wife and my buddy who actually was a client of mine at the agency that I met him through the agency. He told me, he goes, Hey man, you need to get a custom suit made for your wedding. And I had never had a custom suit made, but I'd always wanted to be in fashion, but I'd always talk myself out of it. And I said, okay, yeah, if I'm going to do it anytime, it's going to be from a wedding, you know? So the guy comes to my office, takes 40 plus measurements of me. So I get to play designer and I get to pick out the lining and the stitching and the monogram on the inside of the coat. The guy literally took 40 measurements of me and I just, he got to his car, he took off. I'm texting my wife telling her about the experience. He brings it back and I try on this custom suit for the first time and I'm just like, oh, I'm I'm dead in the water. Like there is I will not shop any other way besides this way moving forward. So he leaves and I go home and I'm i I'm telling my wife about this experience and I'm just thinking in my head the whole time. I'm like, man, I can I th- I think I want to start a menswear business, right? So <laughs> it's crazy because I still don't know how to sew, you know? So when you mean you won't shop any other way, what did you mean by that? Just like tailored fits or not, not just tailored fits, like a guy bringing the shop to you and taking all your measurements and, and you playing design, or you just and knowing that you could have a one of one piece and it's made just for you. The fabric's cut for you. It's sewn for you. It's just for you, you know, and you don't have to deal with parking at the mall. And yeah. you're certainly not walking down the street and 25 other guys are wearing the exact same suit that you're wearing. I mean, it was just it got me. Yeah, I can definitely understand that. I'm attached by the hip to my tailor, so I can understand that 100%. So yeah. you, you told your wife that, and, and did you kind of tell her that you, you were thinking about starting a, a business that first day, or, or did this kind of happen over time? Uh, it was a, maybe, it was pretty quickly after I got the suits delivered. And Andre, when it, when it comes to these businesses, you just you decide in like a split second and then you just run with it. <laughs> uh, the, the, biggest, the biggest example of that's Gleam, my trash my trash can company. I've I've read about that. We're going to get to that here shortly as well. But so you had that, you had that moment and you realized that you never wanted to, I guess you never wanted to go to the mall. You never, you never, the desire to have everything custom kind of fell into place when, when this, this, I guess you visiting the tailor and him giving you all these 40 different measurements and so on and so forth. So that happened and you wanted to start a new business. How did that transpire? Was it before or after the wedding? And how did you start putting that together? So I didn't necessarily want to start a new business. I just felt like I had to after I went through that experience, you know, and I felt like it was my my time to do what I had always wanted to do. And I was getting to get into fashion. But I remind you, Duray, I didn't know anybody that made clothes. I didn't know how to measure. I didn't know where to get. I didn't know anything. So funny story. So while I'm at the agency, I create my brand with the agency, right? And we start pushing out this brand like we're selling a bunch of clothes. We're not selling anything. But we push out this brand, do videos and social media postings, and we're just promoting it. And five months after we start the company, we win the Dallas A-List Award for Best Men's Clothing. And we weren't selling barely anything, man. Anything. Uh, Andre, you got to give away the secrets. How does that work? How does that happen? I guess, first off, what authority did you have to stand on for you to be a presence in, in, in the fashion game? Like, how did how did you build that? I didn't have any authority, brother. Uh, you know, so there's two mantras that I live by when building my businesses. One is a, uh, I think it's a Simon Sinek quote that says, people no longer buy brands, they join them. And then one's a Buffett quote that says, the best companies in the world buy commodities and sell brands. So I knew that the commodity, that suiting is such a commodity, most people would see that as a fear factor. I saw it as an opportunity, right? So to me, the new guy coming out of the gates creating a suit, it's so commoditized, people aren't really going to dissect that suit. So I thought there might be a great way for me to step in and create a brand that people wanted to attach to, right? So from the gates with Andre Philippe, we've been super, super strategic and pinpointed on what our brand represents. So if you were to ask us to personify our brand, we say we're like Frank Sinatra with tattoos. We love timeless style and elegance, but I mean, we're, we're tatted on my playlist. It's going to be everything from Sinatra to me and my partner are both the biggest Jay-Z fans on the planet to Led Zeppelin and Pink Floyd. And so for us creating this brand, we didn't want to create this mahogany wood country club brand because we would have to work to maintain it. I was raised in Cedar Hill, very middle class company. He was literally raised by a crackhead mother in New Jersey. 
we wanted to push forward with a brand that we were going to be able to to honor. So we, I go through this experience. I tell my wife that I'm thinking about it. Nothing surprises my wife, and she is she's the wife that every entrepreneur needs. I mean, she'll tell me if I'm being stupid, but she told me, "Well, hey, you know, give it a shot." You know. So we start pushing out this brand with the promotions and whatnot. We win the Dallas A-List Award five months into it. Four months after that, we're pitching to one of the biggest luxury retailers on the planet. There's designers that are 15 years old that don't get that meeting. Another four years that, or four months after that, we're in the DCEO magazine as one of the top five custom clothiers in Dallas, alongside of Stanley Korshak and Hadley's and Pockets and Bob Bauman. No reason being in that magazine. And then we, we repeated as Dallas A-list award winners the next year. And then the momentum just started building and the ball just started, started growing. But I'm, I'm a firm believer in you're before the million fans that would, I always say that for me, Ray, there's a couple things that'll make me consider starting a business. If it's so crazy unique and it looks like it can make a lot of money and I have the ability to launch it and I think I can step in and impact it, I'll consider the business. The other reason why I started business is because I can't sleep at night thinking about it. And Andre Philippe, if you look at it logically and objectively, there was nothing about Andre Philippe that made sense for me to start this menswear company. But the only thing that I needed to know was that I was losing sleep over it at night and it was enough for me to give it a shot. And then here we are today, man. Okay. Okay. So month one of Andre Philippe, Let's say I see a, a promotion or I see an ad and I want to get a, a custom made suit. What do I do? I call the number and I talk to you or I talk to you. Who do, how does how does the process work? You talking about when we first started or yeah, when, when you first started those first uh, four months so before before you. The way you, that I the way that I ended up being able to execute against the business was I had a, a clothier in the area that contacted me asking me if I could rebrand him and help him with his marketing. Because we had one of his clients was a friend of mine. So whenever I met with him, I had this on my heart to start this company. And I just asked him. And he the, his challenge with his business was that he was always moving because his wife was military. And he couldn't drop his anchors and create a network anywhere. So I just randomly asked him one day. I said, hey, I don't know if you'd be okay with this. But I feel like if I started this brand under my name, I've got the network to start moving some product. And he agreed to it. So that's how it started happening. Well, his family owned a... A factory in Columbia. So that's where we first started making our clothes. So you would just reach out to us on social media or email or give us a phone call. I would kind of prep you with a conversation that I would hand you over to this guy. He would schedule the appointment, go to your house or, you know, your office or your boat or wherever and, and get you sized there and have you go through the selections process. Okay. And then what would you turn around and do with the newly found client, the newly found, I guess, maybe even have them featured or take a couple pictures? Like how did you brand how did you brand yourself each time you got a new client or what did you do to kind of grow the business? So here's the thing is that it's so cliche today and it's such a diluted term, but we're most definitely and always wanted to be a lifestyle brand. So the pictures that we would take, what the clients gave us an opportunity to do wasn't necessarily take a picture of their face and say, hey, this guy bought from us. They gave us an opportunity to produce a product and take a picture of the product and say, this is who we represent, Right. So what we would we would maximize the opportunity to take several shots of that product and use that ongoing in our social media to represent the product that we produce because I felt like if we could if we could somehow establish a a brand where people could look at it and say that's an Andre Philippe piece we were onto something even if they wouldn't buy it if people recognize this we would be able to eventually carve out our niche of the people that did want us so it gave us a great opportunity on the front end when we were only selling a few suits to get the product shots that we needed. And again, it was never about having a guy stand with his arm around us saying, I love my Andre Philippe suit. It was never about that. I mean, very rarely have we ever had and leaned on testimonials, although we could, but our brand's just not built around that stuff. Our brand's built around the product and what the product represents, the man that the product represents. I love that. I love that. And what this clothier, he was your partner or was it you and your partner and then you found him? No, he, he started off as my partner, but that was your partner. Okay. Okay. So he was, at the, at the, he was my very first partner that I had, but it was, he tried to, he tried to steal from me and I ended it. Okay. So it seems like originally it seems like you may have even been working on a, on a basis in which you were, it was more, more like a referral program because he had yeah. this per se business and you 
had the brand or you could create the brand and you had the network and you thought that you can drive traffic, you know, let's just use a website for an example. You thought that you can drive traffic to his website and get him, you know, more sales and, and, and kind of repeat the process over and over again. So how did that relationship change? And then when did, when did it go eerie in which he tried to, I guess, steal from you? Yeah. So the part of the agreement when we, when we decided to work together is that he was no longer going to promote his brand. We saw more value in me creating a brand and us promoting it because we would get more clients faster that way since I had a network. So we moved forward and, and long story short, I find out, you know, a few months down the road that he's still promoting his brand. And I was about to cut him a sizable check so he could stop working at the retailer where he was working. And thank God I found out about him still promoting his brand because I was really about to cut him a check so he didn't have to go back in the office. Yeah. But I just told him, I said, hey, man, we, we agreed something completely different. You're not honoring that. So I let him go, hired another guy that had 22 years in the in the industry, and I thought he was going to be the end-all, be-all. But what I've learned about him, great guy, talented guy, but he just couldn't see the vision. So whenever I lined up this meeting with this major retailer, instead of him seeing it as an opportunity, he tried to say, you have no experience in this. Why do you think you should take this meeting? You know. So there's a really cheesy quote that I think resonates with business partnerships, and it's it's around love. And they say, love isn't gazing into each other's eyes. It's staring outward in the same direction. And I do believe that about relationships. And I believe it definitely about business relationships. And that guy and I, we just didn't see outward in the same direction. So worked with him for a couple months. It wasn't happening. I told my wife at the time, if, if I don't get this figured out, I'm throwing in the towel. I'm tired of burning. So then I called the guy that sold me my suits because I loved my experience with him. And four or five meetings later, he joins me and he's been my partner ever since and we've been doing great things. So it's pretty serendipitous that the guy that sold me my first ever custom suit is running my company now. That's amazing. That's amazing. So let's maybe give some advice to the listeners and, and kind of talk about partnership. What is your advice in, in when it comes to partnership? How should people structure partnership? Should it be, you know, my partner, me and my partner are on the same thought wave and, you know, always get a partner who kind of, who kind of thinks like you and kind of have the same, has the same attributes as you, because it's almost like a, I don't know, like a, a mutually beneficial relationship, or should you get a partner who's opposite of you, who complements what you lack? What is your, yeah. I guess, what is your take? You've went through quite a few partnerships until you found that right fit. How did it work? So the, the first thing I would say to the Before the Millions listeners is that whether you're hiring employees, you're bringing on a partnership, set the expectation that you're not just working together, you're doing life together. And I was having this conversation with a guy today that just bought bought into the Gleam franchise. And I told him, I said, I want you to know, because it's important for me that people know that I'm very cognizant that my decisions affect your life. And likewise, your decisions will impact the life of me and my family. So this isn't about us working together and clocking in, clocking out. This is about us doing life together. You know what I mean? So that's the first thing. If you can't have that conversation with somebody and them see value in it, they're not going to be the right partner to start off with because things get ugly. They get difficult and you've got to be able to stand on something other than opportunity and optimism to make it through those times. But if you're talking about objectively, what kind of partnerships, I can't tell you what kind of partnerships going to work for the before the millions community. What I can tell you is work, what's worked for me. I need guys that can see the vision that I see, but are better at things that I'm not good at, right? So I'll talk about Jason Smith. Jason Smith is my partner in Andre Philippe. He's phenomenal with the tape, takes the most accurate, the best measurements, takes you through the best experience with clothing ever. I'm going to he see him tomorrow. Geeked out. <laughs> Are he? Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. hey, I, I really might. I need, I need a suit for a wedding next month. I might go see him. <laughs> we know some guys. Okay. So okay, we'll he's, <laughs> he's great at that. He loves talking to manufacturers. He gets geeked out on that stuff, right? I am a marketing guy. I'm a strategic partnership, big thinker. Who are the hands I can shake in order to take this thing to the next level type of guy? We stay out of each other's sandbox, not because we force each other to, but I'm hyper aware that his skill sets are not my skill sets. So I let Jason do what Jay's good at and vice versa. He knows what I'm good at. He stays out of my sandbox because he doesn't have a reason being in it because he doesn't know what to do in it. Yep. But he just lets me be me and do what I do. And since we see the same vision long term, 
it ends up being so beneficial because we're getting a lot done on both sides in both sandboxes, but we're still working towards the same goal. So for me, I look at guys that have skill sets that are different than mine, but they can see the long-term vision. In Gleam, I have a partner named Marcus Johnson. Marcus can have 25 conversations at one time and remember all of it and figure out what the next steps are to all of it. I can't listen. The fact that I'm on an hour-long interview right now, it's the work of the Lord because I typically can't, <laughs> typically can't focus for anything, right? But Marcus is great at that. He's great at creating pro formas. He's great at, great at creating projections. He's great at me setting him an issue and saying, hey, this is what the issue is. We need to figure out resolution. He'll come back with some great ideas. My other partner in, in Gleam, his name's Bren. Bren comes from a place of he's very mechanically inclined. So he understands not only the mechanics of the business itself and the trucks, but the business, right? So everybody that's a part of what I'm a part of, we work because we're great at different things, but we say this, see the same long-term vision. Yeah, yep. that's amazing. And I'm, I'm glad you were able to touch on that. I think partnerships are are twofold. You know, it's almost it's one of those things to where you have to be very, very careful about who you go into partnership with. But if you do end up finding that right partner, you guys can accelerate your success that much faster because you guys know exactly what your roles are and you guys know exactly how to go about achieving the goals that you both envision. So I think that that's amazing. Let's talk a little bit more about Gleam and how that came about. Did that come about after Andre Philippe or or during yeah, or before when when did Gleam come about and and what is Gleam? I mean, I was I was not thinking about starting another company, but so the fast story is that I went to go get it was last summer. I went to go get my daughter from school. I was on a phone call. Went to go get her ice cream after school. Still on the phone call when we get home, getting her out of the seat. I'm trying to wrap up my phone call. She has her ice cream in her hand. I never throw anything in a trash cans unbagged. But I was just trying to get off this phone call, so I lift up the lid and I throw my my ice cream in there. Well, it was a brand new house. Three days later, it smells like death and there's maggots everywhere. So I take the trash can out. I've got a water hose in my hand, some bleach. My neighbor, who we're, we're really close to, I was talking to him. I said, man, you know what? If my kids were old enough, I would start them a business cleaning trash and recycle bins in this community because we live in a big master plan community. I said, you know, it would teach them character. It would get them some money. Like, that's what they would be doing. I said, wait, hold on a second. Surely somebody's doing that out there. Well, I couldn't find anybody that was doing it. And I wanted to sign up for this service. Because I didn't want to have, have my head at the bottom of a trash bin scrubbing it with Clorox. And then once I realized that the market was wide open, I looked at the people that were quote unquote doing it. And I just thought I can outmarket these guys. So from the time that I had that, that thought, I'll never forget getting a phone call while I was playing golf. I play golf by myself all the time at my country club. I was playing golf. I had my, my Bluetooth on. A guy called me to talk about the business and making my trucks. We talked on the phone for an hour and a half. This was Two weeks after this experience with ice cream cone, talk on the phone for an hour and a half, four weeks later, five weeks later, that truck's in my front yard. Then we started it. Love it. That's crazy. That's how you do it. I think what you're doing, and you correct me if I'm wrong, but what you're doing is you found your niche, you found your talent, and your niche may not necessarily be a certain thing, maybe, you know, such as clothing, but your niche is branding your brand and, and advertising and marketing. And once you know your niche, you can start as many businesses as you want in any industry, in any field. And it seems like that's what you're doing. Let's list your businesses really quick, just so we have a full picture of what's going on in your life. Yeah. So, I, well, I, I've got, I've got Gleam, obviously. I've got Andre Philippe, who, and you'll be the first public person I tell this to, but we just signed a contract with Kathy Ireland to design and produce all the suiting for her menswear brand, I'm One. If you don't know about Kathy, the entrepreneur, she's the 26th largest licensor in the world behind Ferrari and ahead of Ralph Lauren. Sold billions of dollars of goods last year, so we knocked that out. I mean, we're only four years old, so to get that contract four years into it's incredible. So we got Andre Philippe running. We've got Gleam running. I've got interest in several businesses. I'm in the season now, DeRay, of how do I start leveraging my money, not to operate businesses, but to invest in businesses and make my returns that way, right? So we've got investments in everything from holding companies to real estate assets, to insurance companies, to medical companies. The portfolio is pretty diverse, but I love what you say and I fully believe in it. I don't believe in my life anyways. I try not to tell anybody how to live their life. In my life, what I understand is that I'm that the list of things I'm good at is very short, but on that list is branding and creating brands. And I feel confident that I can do that in any industry and see success. So it's not about what kind of business am I starting. It's do I feel like I can start a brand 
and accelerate past the competition. And that's what that's all. That's really all I look at. Or else I wouldn't be clean to trash cans. Yep. 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 That's amazing. That's amazing. OK, so since you have a plethora of things going on, Andre, I'm sure that I'm sure that your days are or they can get pretty crazy. Let's let's walk through a typical day in your life and how you're able to to keep focus, how you're able to maybe have some some daily tasks that kind of keep you going in the direction that, that you need to be going or or what or maybe, you know, some things that you do every morning that help you be successful or or plan out your day. So the first thing that I do is I wake up at 430. I'm in the gym every day at five. I'm pretty uh, militant about that. I typically don't miss. Whenever I get back from the gym, I have my quiet time. And I recite my mantra from Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. So that's my that's what I do every morning. And then I get ready for the day. Kids aren't up yet. <laughs> Kids, uh, about this time, they're starting to get up. But yeah, that's how I start off every day. But every, I mean... Every day is just so different. I'll, I'll give you a good example. Today, had four meetings, went, got the rental car, drove down here to, to Austin, have this with you. I have a dinner after this. I wake up. I'm at the board meeting tomorrow from 745 to about noon. I leave at noon to go have a meeting about expanding Gleam in Austin at 1230. I get back into Dallas, got some social things that I have to do. I wake up the next morning. I have a meeting at 7 o'clock, and then I hit the road to go to Houston for a 24-hour at 9 o'clock. But any given time, it can be talking about any one of my businesses. Two things I'd, I'd love to tell you about is, is first of all, we're doing a Dallas roundtable where it's literally just a roundtable with me. And I'm going to share with the audience what my my story is. I'm going to tell them about kind of how I got from where I was to where I am. It's going to be very interactive. When you pre-register, it actually asks if you could ask Andre five questions at lunch, what would those questions be? So the second half of it is really going to be me interacting and answer questions from the audience. But if you go to IamAndreFilippe.com, that's where the pre-registration is. And it gives you a little blurb about what's going on. But it's going to be an intimate roundtable of maybe 50 people. And then we're also launching this private this private investment network called Silo Black. We're really, really fortunate that we're starting to get a bunch of off-market deals sent to us. And my greatest mentor on the planet, his name is Mr. Lewis David Spagnolo out of Miami. He's always beating into my head that wealth is not built on things that everybody has access to in terms of deals. So we're starting Silo Black because we're just getting access to so many super, super, super investment opportunities. So it's going to be an invite-only membership-based investment group. We're just leveraging the buying power of everybody to go in on these deals together. That's amazing. And are these deals in, in the fashion industry or, or? All over. I mean, yeah, I invested in a company... We invested in a company about two months ago that's going public in September. So we got it right before the IPO, which is great. That's a holding company. We've got everything from proprietary crutches to there's a helmet that's on the market that has this proprietary padding to it that re- reduces the amount of the amount of impact that's felt by the by the head. But beyond that, there's a major car manufacturer that's testing the material out in the roofs of their car. So that's an opportunity that we have in front of us. A lot of real estate opportunities that we have in front of us, but it's, it runs the gambit. You know, at that point, when you're talking about investing dollars to just invest dollars, to me, it's just all about the deal. You know, if I can step in and help move the needle, that's an added bonus. But like there's a vape company right now that we really, really like. I'm not going to promote vaping. I, I don't. I don't know anything about it. You know, I can't necessarily step in and, and move the needle. But the numbers and the team make sense. But that's a completely off-market deal. They're not publicly going out trying to raise capital for this deal. They just know that we've made another investment in another company that impacts their business, so they brought it to us. But Silo Black's going to be. We're looking to be at 20 members within the next three months, and then over the next six months after that, to 100 members. Okay. And how how does it operate? Is it like an open ended fund? Or you guys are just kind of you guys just kind of Yeah, so we either yeah, it's a, it's multiple ways. You probably appreciate this conversation in your background, but it's a five thousand dollar a year membership to have access to the deals. And we can either go in together or you can go in independently and there's no requirement for you to re- to invest at all. So really we just look at the deal and what the what the buy in is and whether we create a holding company in order to to hold the shares that we buy as a group or somebody just invest in it one on one. I'll tell you that one of the best benefits isn't only the access to the deals that you'll have, but it's also the networking that you can do with other silo black members. Andre, this conversation has been thrilling. It's been amazing. We 
Man, my, I've taken so, so many notes. My notepad is all covered, but we've talked about everything. And I think that, I think that you've, you've left the listeners with, with a great amount of kind of things to take back with them and go research and go look up. And I think we're all marketers at the end of the day. I think that, you know, when, especially when it comes to, I talk to a, a lot of online retailers and I, and I tell them that it's not about what you're selling. If what you're selling makes money, you just have to be the person to get in front of the buyers. You just have to be the person that they buy from. So it doesn't necessarily matter what you sell. If it's a good product, if it's a good industry, if, if there's something good to come of that, then you just have to be the person to get in front and, and make the sale because the people are buying it all day, every day. You, I mean, it's just who, who are they going to buy it from? The best real estate investing advice ever show is literally the only daily podcast that I subscribe to. And now I'm prescribing for you the world's longest-running daily real estate podcast. That's unprecedented. Visit joefearless.com slash show for the back catalog. Enjoy. You are listening to the Before the Millions. Before the Millions. Before the Millions. Before the Millions. Before the Millions podcast. What is your favorite Before the Millions book? Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. What were the sacrifices that you knew you had to make before the millions to get to where you are today? Man, you know, this. the answer to this is so clear in my mind because the list is long. I sacrificed relationships. I sacrificed perception. I sacrificed money. I sacrificed time. The whole cliche about the more you sacrifice, the more you're poised to make is just very true. And I lost friends. I was ridiculed. I was mocked and made fun of. So I sacrificed. I mean, the, the sacrifice is tremendous. But what I will tell you is that my circle's smaller than it's ever been today. And my life is also greater. And we're also doing greater things right now than we ever have. And it's all a result of the sacrifices that we made before. Yeah. Who was essential to your growth before the millions and why? The Lord. Honestly, whenever, and I don't mean to get preachy with people, but Life becomes much easier whenever you when you understand that the book's already been written, and if you read it from front to back, you win, and the battle's already been fought, so you don't have to fight your own battles. Once I came to that realization and I understood that, you know, this story's already been written, so I don't have anything to be worried about, then it really alleviated a lot of the stress. And when you understand you're in control, for men particularly, like us, who want to be in control, once you get to that point of maturity where you can relinquish control, you know, the, the greatest step to success is letting go. The moment that I was able to let go is the very moment that my life started to shift. So the Lord, first of all, secondly, is my wife. I don't know. I always say that she's the best deal that I've ever closed. She is the wife that every entrepreneur needs. I mean, there's so many times when Andre Philippe was just I didn't know what to do, but she she talked me into staying into it. Whenever I told her I wanted to start Gleam, she didn't bat an eye. So I'd say the Lord and my wife, and and you know I just I want to share with your audience that if you're single, go after it. If you're dating, make sure it's somebody that aligns with your vision, because if it's not somebody that aligns with your vision, you're going to end up having to make a decision whether or not you're going to choose your destiny or your spouse. And that's not a decision that you ever want to come face to face with. That's amazing advice, Andre. And I appreciate that, that word of wisdom. Why do you think so many of us are stuck before the millions, even though we have every intention on getting to the millions? Intent doesn't matter. Everybody's scared, man. Scared of, you know, scared of things that just don't even matter. Scared of what people are going to say about them. Scared of what happens if I can't pay my mortgage. Scared of what happens if my car gets repoed. Listen. I'm going to end on this. Success is a three-step process in my head. The first step is that you decide what you want. The second step is that you commit to it. And the third step is you freaking go get it. And the problem is, is that people come up to this point where they say, well, my wife's unhappy because I'm not making any money. So they bail. Or they say, I can't pay my mortgage this month. I need to go find a job. So they bail. So they make it seem like it's so much more convoluted than those three steps. But the reality is, is if you quit because of any one of those steps or because of any one of those things, it's not about any one of those things. It's about your commitment. The only difference between me and the next guy is I'm going to stay committed longer and I'm going to be able to withstand more storms than him. Failure is only an option for people who choose failure as an option. When I started Andre Philippe, I said, 
come hell or high water, the Lord's going to have to take my life or send me a text message saying, this is not what you're supposed to be doing. Other than that, I'm willing to tread whatever I have to tread and go through whatever hell I have to go through to make this work. A lot of people have visions of private jets, but they're not willing to walk. And that's the problem. They are so fearful of taking the steps and withstanding everything because it goes against everything that society says that we're supposed to do. It goes everything that the education system says that we're supposed to do. It goes everything that our parents are telling us to do. They're fearful of things that don't even exist. They're not even real things and they're scared of it. So they won't get started. And if they do get started, the first glimpse of things not going perfect, they bail. So fear and lack of commitment is a death of all destiny. Andre, you are speaking my language. (laughs) You are speaking my language. My goodness. Okay. Well, in closing, Andre, this has been phenomenal. Your advice has been has been one for the books. I hope that our listeners have gotten a lot from you. And I know that many people are going to kind of look into your story and, and maybe want to want to find out more about you. How best can they contact you? How best can the listeners get a hold of you? Yeah, so the my websites are AndreFilippe.com. That's A-N-D-R-E-P-H-I-L-L-I-P-E.com. The Roundtable website's IamAndreFilippe.com. My email is Andre. P like Paul, V like Victor at AndreFilippe.com. You can find me everywhere on social media. Dre, can I just say that it's never going to be something that I'm used to, that people want to hear my story and they want to, and they find inspiration in my words. It's not something I'm ever going to get used to understanding that, but I really appreciate the opportunity and I'm grateful for your time tonight. And I'm grateful for the opportunity to maybe inject some hope into some people that needed it tonight. That's amazing. And and we're grateful as well. I hope we can get you back on the show in in a year from now, maybe two years from now and and see where you are, because I know that I know that the way you're you're growing and the way your your businesses are growing, the sky's the limit. And again, you're you're speaking my language in terms of perseverance and and just having the right mindset. I think it all starts with your mind. I think the mindset is key. If you can if you can conceive it, then there's there's nothing there's nothing that can possibly stop you from achieving your dreams as long as you physically do not stop. And that's one thing that I want the listeners to, to, to take away from our conversation because you have not stopped. You will not stop. And you, you just you just find a way to keep going. And, and that's amazing. So, Andre, thank you again for being on the show. And we'll talk to you soon. Awesome. Man. Thank you. Another classic episode, guys. Really enjoyed it. I hope you guys enjoyed it as well. It's one of those episodes that kind of just makes you want to keep persevering and keep going. And, and Andre kind of kind of put things from perspective when he discussed you know, finding good business models and and starting good businesses, but those businesses not necessarily being what he wanted to do and just kind of being able to get out of that and pivot from that, I think is a, it's an amazing takeaway because it's so easy to kind of get stuck doing something because you've already started doing it. So again, want to give a special thanks to Andre and his team for putting this together. This show was amazing. This week, our featured iTunes five-star review is from Femi23. He says, this podcast gives insight to the different ways of how to become successful. Everybody's path is different, but the end goal is the same. This podcast sheds light to those different paths and gives the listeners an opportunity for every single one of them to paint their own story. Love it. Again, thank you all for your five-star reviews. If you'd like to leave a five-star review, please do so. Go to iTunes and... You know, tell us what you think about the show. Tell us what we could approve on. Tell us what you like. Tell us your favorite episode. And your feedback really, really helps us in kind of getting good guests on the show and getting the guests that you guys want to see on the show. And it also helps our rankings and being exposed to more people. So so we thank you. And we'll have a brand spanking new episode for you next week. So don't forget to tune in. Again, get out there and be all you can be. feel like I sound like a Raisin Bran commercial or something or like a dare to do drugs commercial, but get out there and be all you can be. And we'll see you next week. Arby's, we have the meats.